So if you have your copy of God's Word, why don't you turn over with me to Acts chapter 18 for our sermon text this morning. Acts chapter 18. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. All right, and as you're turning there, Let's go ahead and ask the Lord to bless this word to us this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active, that it is powerful. And Father, we confess we need your grace to be able to hear it. So Father, we pray that your spirit would open our hearts to receive what we need to receive from this text. You know us. Search us, O Lord. Search us, O Lord, and minister to us. Meet us here as you have promised to meet us in your word. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So our sermon text this morning is the first 17 verses of Acts chapter 18. And so as I read these words, please remind you what you're hearing is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of the living God. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names in your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. May God so far bless the reading of his holy inspired word. I don't think I'm, I'm speaking out of school here. I'm sure the session would agree, and if not, I'll repent. Uh, do you realize that you all are released to ministry? You all have a ministry. Every one of you has a ministry. Uh, Pastor Matt has a certain ministry in this church. Your elders and deacons have certain ministries of this church, and you all have ministries. You have, you have places you work. You have families you serve. You have families. You have neighbors. You all have a ministry. And I don't know if you know this, Yet, ministry is hard. Ministry is hard. 
And ministry can take a lot out of you. And ministry is often very discouraging. And I love that Paul knew that too. Paul wasn't a superman. You see, we, 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 sometimes when we read our Bible, we, we think these aren't really humans, right? These are, these are super, super people. No, these were regular dudes, regular people like us. Paul often talks about the discouragement, his pain, his heartache in the ministry. For I want you all to know, brothers, the trial that I went through in Asia, so much so that I, I despaired of life itself. Aren't you glad Paul said that? He wasn't a superhuman. He was, just, he was just a human, a weak, sinful human like us. And we all in ministry need to be encouraged. And, and our passage today, Paul was feeling the full weight of that discouragement. And we see how Jesus encouraged him and how he encourages us to press on in ministry when it's hard and, and even when it hurts. See, this passage teaches us that Jesus encourages his ministers when they are discouraged. And so we're going to see... We're going to see three P's here. We're going to see the people, providence, and the pronouncement. So people, providence, and pronouncement. So let's look at the, the people here. See, as our, as our passage opens, Paul heads southwest to Corinth as on his travels. Corinth, a uh, little bit of geography because it is kind of important. Corinth sat on, on what's called the Isthmus of, of Corinth, which was a little land bridge connecting uh, the, 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 the central and the northern parts of Greece together that made it kind of like the Panama and the Suez Canal all combined into one. The city had, had two ports handling all these ships that came through and three canals that worked through the city to help move ships. And, 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 and what couldn't be moved through the canal, they could simply port the boats across the landmass because it was really narrow. And that way you didn't have to sail all the way on Greece. It's incredibly, incredibly important. And so Corinth had three things going for it to make it one of the most difficult cities in the world to minister. See, number one, it was governmentally powerful. We're talking the Roman government here, right? It was the capital of Achaia, a city that had much money flowing through it as, as, as it as this place did, as the center of trade it was. You couldn't get Roman power out of this place, right? This is a place they wanted to hold. Number two, it was economically powerful. It was an economically powerful place. Now, often... When we think of an, of an area for ministry that's, that's a really wealthy area, we think, oh, well, that makes ministry easy, right? Lots of resources, you know, uh, people, people got, got money and got time, right? Well, often when wealth exists, I don't know if you've noticed this, it's often hard to find faith. Um, I don't, throw a dart into the Bible, and I, I, after a while, you're going to read something that warns us of, of riches, right? Why? Because what happens when you have riches? You, you, you tend to be able to make your own action. You tend not to look at your own, you, you, well, uh, I, I can just make this happen. Look at what I'm able to do. Uh, wasn't that what the, the children of Israel were told, is, is when you go into the promised land, don't think it's your own awesomeness that, that can get all this wealth come to you. No, no, it's me. And so when all this wealth comes to you, don't go, oh, who's the Lord that I need him, right? 
So they made it a very difficult place to do ministry. But then there was a third thing that made ministry in Corinth difficult. It was a hub of a whole lot of immorality. In fact, the slang Greek term for adultery literally meant play the Corinthian. Okay, that's bad. It was a city full of sailors doing what sailors do. Think if Vegas had a port. And moreover, near the coast, on a 2,000-foot-high hill, sat the temple of the city. And who do you think this city worshipped? They worshipped the goddess Aphrodite, the god of, goddess of Greek love, passion, beauty, pleasure, and procreation. It was said that 1,000 slaves in service of her would roam through the city every night, and for a fee, you can engage with them and worship the goddess. That's a tough place to do ministry. It would be difficult to find a harder city to minister. But on top of that, just think of all that Paul had been through on his trip so far. He was chased out of Thessalonica. He went to Bria. They chased him there. He went down to Athens. His fruit was minimal there. And now he ends up in Corinth. And he called for Timothy and Silas to come meet him, his, his, his sons in the faith. But they went up to Thessalonica first to try to set things in order there. And so Paul is alone in Corinth. His provisions are short. And so what does he do? He, he, he gets a day job. He goes back to what his profession was. He's a tent maker. And so he would always be traveling with his bag of tools. And he got to work to make a living. And though Paul was alone and discouraged, he was still ministering, still serving, still working. Consider what he wrote in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, I, and I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He was weak among them. He was with fear and trembling. Paul needed help. And so we see some of the ways that Jesus encouraged Paul, his minister, and how he encourages us in ministry as well. The first thing is he used new friends. He used new friends. And Paul in the city, he found a Jew who had come from Rome because Claudius kicked all the Jews out of the city. Uh, the, Roman, the Roman historian uh, Suetonius wrote that Claudius kicked out all the Jews because of a certain Crestus, which is a clear allusion to Christ. little apologetic tidbit for you. There's hostile sources that speak of the truth of Christ. Um, but the gospel somehow was being preached in the city, and it was causing enough disturbance in the city that Claudius kicked out all the Jews for the peace of the city. And, and a couple, Aquila and his wife Priscilla, who were Jews, were even in the same, even in the same trade as Paul, had, had, had come to, to faith in Christ in Rome and then come to, to Corinth here. And, and, they met, and Paul met them, and he was encouraged by these new friends. You, you ever, like, okay, there are a couple people on a, on a plane, okay? There are the people that the second they hit in their seat, headphones are on, the sign goes up, don't talk to me, don't bother me. 
right? Then there's the other one, the, hey, so who are you? What's your name? Where are you from? What do you do for a living? You know what? And you know, this is my first trip. You ever been there? Are you from there? Where did you come from? You know, all this kind of stuff, right? And I, I don't know why they always put those two together. I, I think so the stewardesses could, could enjoy the show. Um, but so which one are you? <laughs> but this, this couple here, this couple here ends up traveling with Paul all over the place. You, you read it in letters all the time. Tell Priscilla and Aquila I said hi. Or Priscilla and Aquila, they send their greetings. This friendship with Priscilla and Aquila is lifelong. Just like when you're on that plane, all of a sudden you start talking and you find out the person next to you is a believer. You ever had that experience? You're like, I, I just met you. Uh, and if this plane goes down, we're good. I love you. This is fantastic. This is a brother or a sister from an extended family that I've ever known. Like it's really encouraging. And so it seems that everywhere Paul goes in ministry, either he has this couple with them or he's writing, telling the receivers to say hello to them. This is a disciple-making, encouraging couple. And second, Paul's encouraged also by old friends. Verse 5, Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia where Philippi was, and, and Silas and Timothy told them how much the church has been praying for Paul, how much they love him, and the church, even though they were a poor church, they gave so Paul could be well provided and he could devote himself to full-time ministry. What an encouraging report. Um, I remember uh, when I was in seminary, we, we, the OPC has these things called readiness for ministry seminars. And uh, it, it's kind of weird. They, they usually bring in a speaker, um, you know, to do a couple lectures and, and we pretend we're in a session so we can get some practice doing that and we preach a sermon. You know, it, it's really, it's really kind of fun. Uh, but one year they brought in this guy who uh, had like, four messages of, of how bad the ministry is. Like, like don't go into ministry. It's terrible kind of, kind of lectures. But I loved them. They were great. And he said this. He says, you know, every once in a while, you're going to get an email from someone who says, you know, thank you so much, Pastor. That really encouraged me. That, 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 that really helped me. Thank you so much. He said, save those. That's typically not the emails you're going to get. <laughs> I share that to say, you know, your session and your pastor really likes to be encouraged because it's tough. Do you like to feel encouraged? Do you like it when someone encourages you? Do you like it when your spouse or your kids or friends see something in you and encourages you? It's a wonderful thing. That's how Paul here felt. And something we learn here is that Christianity is a team sport, right? Christianity isn't golf, right? It's a team sport. We need each other. We need fellow believers. You cannot do this alone. It's too much for you. Christ is enough. We're connected to him. That's how we walk. When we withhold fellowship from one another, we're cutting ourselves off from the encouragement we need and the encouragement others need as well. Do you realize that others need you? I know that sounds crazy, right? But others need you. 
You have gifts to share with them that they need. He uses the body of Christ who encourages us when we are discouraged. And as often, we're the only ones that understand each other. We're often the only ones who understand each other, what we're going through. And as he was encouraged by, 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 by the saints, it's, 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 it's really important because a new discouragement was coming. So let's now look at the promise. As Paul's custom... When he went into a place, where's the first place he went? He went to the synagogue. And he taught. But this synagogue was different. Often, the synagogues would give counter-arguments, and it said that he reasoned in the synagogue with them. You know, doesn't this text say this? Yes, this text says this. You know, he would reason with them. But, but instead of a counter-argument to what Paul was saying, our text says this. They opposed him and reviled him. They made it personal against him. It wasn't simply they didn't like what he had to say. They didn't like how he said it. They mocked his lack of eloquence. They attacked the foolishness of his message. They, they mocked his character and his person. He, it, it, was, it was criticism and vitriol directly targeted at Paul. And in ministry, that hurts. I know, parents, we sometimes say this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But how many of you would agree with me that often words are the most painful things in our lives? How many of us today are still walking around with words that have been said to us that we're still hoping to be healed from and Jesus is still healing us from? And so Paul took his garment and he shook it out in front of them. That's what Jews did when they went through like, like a Gentile territory, like, like a place that would be considered unclean. And he said, you, you, your blood be on your own heads. I, I'm done with you all. Quoting the prophet Ezekiel. And like the prophet Ezekiel, who was told that if you hold back from anything I tell you to say as my watchman, then, then I will require your blood for theirs. So, so Paul is quoting back Ezekiel. Paul didn't hold anything back. He said, Paul faithfully taught them the word of God and they reviled him. He said, I held nothing back and you came after me. Okay. He says, from now on, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. That's where I'll go. And I love this. And he set up shop right next door to the synagogue. <laughs> at the house of a Gentile named Justice. And the ruler of the synagogue, Crispus, believed Paul and left the synagogue with him. You see, Paul had been through this enough. He knows what's going to come next. In Paul's life, words lead to rocks. Soon they're going to attack me again. He's already almost was already almost stoned outside Lystra. I mean, almost stoned to death outside of Lystra. He knows what's coming. So Paul is debating whether or not to keep on in ministry in the first place. Why am I even doing this? What benefit am I getting out of it? You know, I I, I could just go back to making tents. I'm good at that. I I, I could just make tents. 
and teaching good ideas that, you know, they might want me to teach and not have to deal with, with, with this anymore. And I say this to say this. Everyone in ministry, everyone in ministry considers whether or not it's worth it to continue in ministry. And everyone in ministry has thought about quitting. Everyone. Why am I doing this? Ministry's hard. Pray for your pastor. Pray for each other. But you will also wonder whether it's even worth sharing Christ. If it's even worth sharing the love of Christ with others. You know, they don't listen. They walk all over me. They mock me for my faith. Why, why, why even bother? And the one who hears all the whispers of her hearts, Jesus, Jesus himself, he came to Paul in a vision. And he said these beautiful words to encourage us to press on in ministry. You see, this wasn't given just to Paul, right? This is for you as well. So we would have the strength to continue when we don't have it in ourselves. Here's what Jesus says. He said, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Listen to the promise God makes to Paul and to you. Some commentators say that Jesus is giving Paul a gentle rebuke here. I, 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 I do not see that at all. This is strong encouragement. Do you realize that not all fear is sinful? Jesus isn't rebuking Paul. He's encouraging him. Paul's a sinner and not a man of perfect faith, just like us. So he comforts him. Jesus is, is kind and gentle. He says, you're not alone, Paul. I know it feels like that sometimes, but you're not alone. Do not be afraid. Keep speaking and do not be silent. I know they don't want to hear what you have to say. I, I, they didn't want to listen to me either, Paul. <laughs> do you realize that Jesus knows what it is to be discouraged in ministry? Like, like to have no one listen to him, to... to, to, to want to stone him to death and, 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 and speak all kinds of slander and, 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 and mock him. Jesus knows what it's like for ministry to be tough. When Jesus preached one of his best sermons, what happened? Everybody left. And he looks at his, he looks at his, 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 his soon-to-be apostles and said, you guys want to go too? Jesus knows. And so Jesus is encouraging Paul here with the words of Isaiah 43. Now, in the context of Isaiah 43, in Paul's heart, Jesus encourages him and us with two more promises. He says, first, no one will attack you to harm you. Okay, notice what it did not say. It did not say, Paul, no one will attack you. Of course they're going to attack Paul. But no one will attack you to harm you. Can they cause you pain? Yes. Paul, can they throw rocks at your head again? Yes. 
But just like the children of Israel who went through the fire and the water that we read in Isaiah 43, Jesus was with them. Though you walk through fire, though you walk through the rivers, I am with you, Jesus says. He redeemed them. He called them, and they are his. He redeemed you. He called you, and you are his. The worst attack of man and Satan cannot take your Jesus away from you. Amen? Jesus will never leave you and never forsake you. It's kind of funny. I didn't know what your bulletin looked like, and I have right here in my notes. Romans 8, 31 to 39 comes to mind. We already read that. No one will snatch him out of my hand. We've read that. It's kind of like Jesus is trying to encourage us today, isn't it? <laughs> but also in Psalm 40, or pardon me, Isaiah 43, Jesus was, was calling people from the nations and from the four corners of the earth. Jesus' final promise that he makes here, he says, I have many in this city who are my people. Why do we continue in ministry when it's hard? It's because Jesus has many people in this city. He has many people in Merrillville. Cherylville, St. John, Dyer, Crown Point, Munster, Highland, Griffith, Hobart, Lowell. He's got many people. In Walkerton, New Liberty. Those are the only two I know. I'm working on getting the other ones. <laughs> See, that's one of the joys of being reformed. God has a people. He has a people. That's why I believe in the utter sovereignty of God and salvation, which is why if I didn't, I couldn't be in ministry. If it's all about my persuasive ability, forget it. I quit. I'll go drive truck or something. You can always learn to drive truck. I cannot preach well enough. I cannot love strong enough. I cannot serve hard enough. But Jesus has his people. And he uses my weak words, just like he used Paul's weak words, just like he will use yours as well to call people to himself. See, he has his people, and we have the joy of, of calling his children, our brothers and sisters, for the dinner bell. It's time to come eat. The feast is ready. We get to call the family of God in for dinner. That's all we get to do. We get to say the table is set. Come, 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 come and eat. Come eat and drink at Christ's table by faith. And on that strength, with the blessing of the saints in his life and the promise of Christ in his heart, he served for 18 months in Corinth, preaching and teaching the whole counsel of God the work of Christ, and he was about to get another encouragement and one from God's providence. It's our last point here. See, we'll look at the providence that Jesus showed. It says that Corinth was the capital of Achaia, and the emperor sent Gallio to be proconsul in 51 AD. And this is a man that we know a lot about from history. Just yet another proof on how historically reliable the Bible truly is. See, Gallio was the son by adoption of Seneca the Elder, the famous rhetorician. And his, and, his, and his brother Seneca the Younger was the famous Stoic philosopher. The Elder Seneca was tutor 
to young Nero, Claudius' nephew. And Gallio was known for his sharp legal mind. That's what he was known for. You'd think, if, if, if your dad is a rhetorician and your brother is a philosopher, you're, you're, you're going to be pretty crisp, right? And so he was a fine Roman to be handpicked to serve as proconsul. In those days, the Jews had a full, united attack against Paul and brought him before the tribunal where Gallio would have judged. And they placed the charges for Gallio. This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. See, this charge is serious. We're like, okay, so what, right? This charge is serious. See, Judaism is, is a protected religion in, in the Roman Empire. It's fine to be a Jew. But if they, could have a if they could have him make a legal verdict saying that Christianity is not Judaism, then Paul is purveyor of an illegal religion. And then they could persecute the church wherever they found it. But when Paul opened his mouth to speak, I love that. Paul's getting ready to talk, and Gallio speaks up first. He did something that Paul never would have dreamed. He's ready to give, okay, I got a legal mind here. I'm ready for my legal argument. And Gallio says, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or a vicious crime, O oh Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of questions about words and names in your own law, see it to it yourself. I refuse to be judge over this. I don't know Torah. See, God protected his church. A ruling, a legal ruling that didn't make Christianity illegal. And, and as a matter of fact, in, in 110 AD, another guy we know a lot about from history, Pliny the Younger, was, was governor of Bithynia, uh, of which Paul did a lot of ministry in that area. And, and he wrote to Emperor Trajan about the Christians and, and what, what his policy should be because he couldn't find any legal precedent against them. You see, God protects his church. And in an act of rage, the crowd grabbed Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him. But Gallio didn't care. It's got nothing to do with me. Sosthenes was probably uh, Crispus's replacement as the leader of the synagogue. But we know that Sosthenes later would help Paul co-author 1 Corinthians. Lovely connections. Was he a believer at the time? Don't know. We do know that he was later on for sure. See, God was calling people to himself. That's what, now two synagogue rulers? You see, God in his providence protects his church. You see, the church may be small in the world. You see, you realize that, that God's church at one time was eight people floating on a boat. Elijah cried out to God, I'm the only one left! But God told him much the same as he spoke to Paul. Elijah, I have 7,000 who have not bowed in the knee to Baal. I have many in Samaria who are my people. At times, the church may have much outward glory. And other times, it does not. Other times, it may seem powerful. And other times, it may be weak and hard to find. But the church of Jesus Christ will always be here. 
It is Christ who builds his church through the works of sinful people like us who fall short and fail. Because he's that awesome. And people like us who frequently need to be encouraged because ministry is hard and we get discouraged easily. So why do we continue in ministry? We continue because God is with us. We continue because God has his elect and, and he uses us to share his word. And the spirit works through that word to bring people to himself. That's why we continue. And when it's hard, in his kindness, he gives us fellow believers to encourage us, both old and new family in Christ, to pick up our hearts when they are downcast and, and to encourage us when we want to quit. And we know that God protects his church. I say this probably every Sunday at my church as well. Jesus is our church planner. Jesus is Grace Reform's church planner. I, I think Jesus has a whole lot more plans than this for, for these communities here. Amen? Amen. Jesus is planting Grace Reformed. I want every church to realize they're still a church plant. Yes, we are. Jesus is the church planner, and the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. So let us give thanks to our Lord in prayer, who will never leave us, never forsake us. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for this amazing word. And Father, we pray that you would encourage us. Lord, we, we confess that we are so often faint. We are so often weak. Lord, encourage us through your word, through your means of grace. And allow us to press on for your glory, to be built up into the image of Christ. And Father, we pray for conversions, for moves of the Spirit, for, for reconciliation, and, and, and all those things that just seem so impossible. Lord, nothing is impossible for you. And Father, we pray, above all, that you would give us that praise upon our lips. Give us that testimony on our tongue. Give us, Lord, your praise in our mouth as we watch you work. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.